This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Acts chapter 11. Once you found it, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? I want to read verses 19 to 26. Acts chapter 11, standing please. Where we're at in the book of Acts, this is the next section in the narrative that we have been studying. Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For as he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians, uh, were called Christians first in Antioch. Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, would you assist my voice today and give me clarity. Uh, empower your word. We need to be fed by you. So Holy Spirit, please lead us into truth and impart power to this weak vessel. And Lord, change us. Help us to be more determined to cleave to you and to let you work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Our study in Acts brings us to eight years following the death of Stephen. Of course, Stephen is mentioned here, his death and the persecution that came uh, after that that was spearheaded by Saul of Tarsus. It should not be lost on us that as we read the text today that these folks were scattered because of Saul's work before he became a Christian. And this portion of the text is going to end with Barnabas finding Saul of Tarsus to bring him back to help disciple these new converts in Antioch. Is God amazing? Wow. That's what he does. So eight years, the church of Jerusalem has finally been settled in the reality that Jesus came to save both Jews and Gentiles. You'll remember that earlier in this chapter, there was some discussion about that, and certain Jews thought, no, no, no. Peter, you shouldn't have been at Cornelius' house. Uh, and, and their minds had to be corrected. Now, of course, Jesus has spoken plainly about this. He came to save everybody, but they, they were letting tradition uh, blind them. 
And so Peter had learned that God, in fact, had intended to save the Gentiles. And the whole situation with Cornelius and his house proved that. Now we come to find out that those who were not church leaders were already doing the work that the Lord Jesus had said. They were already going to the Gentiles. Uh, persecution drove them out of Jerusalem after Stephen's death, and now they were already witnessing to the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that we can look back in church history, and here's a classic example where sometimes God's people are way ahead of those who should be leading the church. On Wednesday nights, I've been preaching about uh, Reformed theology and looking back at the Reformers, and it is true, history proves this, that the disciples of the Reformers, those that were led to the Lord by guys like Calvin and Luther, uh, some of those disciples were way ahead of those guys as far as taking the Scripture, interpreting it literally, and obeying what it said. In fact, some of them were persecuted by these reformers who had led them to the Lord. And here's an example that God's people took God at His word, did what God said, even though it took some time for some of the leadership to catch up. And so today we need to see that God uses not just church leaders, but every obedient saint in the church to accomplish his great commission work. He wants to use you. As a Christian, you don't need a special calling. Hope you'll remember this. You need a submitted caller. All right? You don't need a special calling. I've heard people, Christians say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Stop. There is no gift of evangelism. We're told to evangelize. There is a gift of the evangelist. That's different. Uh, but part of the gift of the evangelist is to evangelize. And so even Paul said, so do the work of an evangelist. So God wants to grow his church through any believer who has yielded his or her life and his or her lips to gospel work. You find the ability to talk to people about just about anything. We need to be in the habit of talking, talking to them about the main thing, the theme of themes, the Lord Jesus what you say that is gospel truth, the power is in that to influence them. It's not in you. All right. And so today let's talk about, let's look, I think this is the theme of this particular text, how God grows the Gentile church. Now, I'm not suggesting there are two churches, the, those who are Jews that get saved and those that are, no, it's, we're the church. But here in the text, how God grows the Gentile church, though, of course, in Antioch, Jews were being saved as well. So look, please, again at verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. So what Paul or what Luke is doing here, the human author of Acts, is picking up where he left off in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Now we're in chapter 11. It shows again how God uses persecution to spread the gospel. The persecuted believers traveled as far as Fenice 
Now, where's that? Well, that's a southern seaport in Crete. And Cyprus, most of us know that's an island in the Mediterranean. If you go straight out of Lebanon west, you run into Cyprus. And then Antioch, where's that? Well, that's 300 miles north of uh, Jerusalem in Syria. And so they went by land and by sea. That's the point. When they scattered, some got on ships into the Mediterranean. And in these seaports, they stopped and they started to witness for Christ. Uh, some traveled north up to Antioch. Now, there are several Antiochs in Roman times, but this Antioch on the Orontes River was a city of 500,000 people, half a million residents. To put that in perspective, if you take all of the population of Chesapeake, Suffolk, and Portsmouth, it comes in at about 444,000. So this city was bigger than Chesapeake, Portsmouth, all right, and Suffolk all together. It was the third largest city in the empire after Rome and Alexandria. This was quite a place. In fact, history tells us uh, that many of the Roman uh, Senate, uh, those who had served in government in Rome, actually retired in this city. This was the place to come. It's just a beautiful city. It was called the Queen of the East. It had a main street that was four miles long. And you can go even to those remains today of this city and on either side of that main thoroughfare there were um, uh, columns made of marble that stretched down both sides of that four mile road and at night unlike some of the other cities they had torches on those columns and, and Main Street was lit. Someone has referred to it as the New York City of the Roman Empire. But the idolatry and the wickedness in the city was great. Some have said after Corinth, this, this was where the decadence was. So if you want to escape persecution, why would you go to Antioch? Well, today, perhaps some Christians have the idea, well, we need to go where we're not going to be noticed, where we can hide, and people will leave us alone. But in the text, I can answer the question why they went to Antioch. Look at verse 19. It tells us they went doing what? Preaching the word. That's why they went to Antioch. Bigger harvest field, greater harvest. It was a great place for evangelism. But there was a problem, as you read on, they only went to the Jews. It's probable that the Jewish believers were just going to unbelieving Jews, that they were not aware of what the council had met and just decided in Jerusalem. They probably didn't know anything about the centurion Cornelius and his house and, and what had happened there, that they had been saved. The problem is they hadn't listened to the truth that Jesus said. They were still depending on their own thinking. This, again, is a caution that's going to come up over and over in the book of Acts, and it comes up all through Scripture. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Now what's exciting is not all of them were just going to the Jews. Verse 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus, Cyrene. These were Greeks. They had been Jewish proselytes. They were in Jerusalem when Pentecost happened. Okay, But they had been saved, and who are they concerned about? They're concerned about their own people. And so when they were come to Antioch, they spoke unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now certainly they knew the Jewish traditions, but now they had been one to the Lord Jesus, and they wanted their fellow Greeks to be one to the Lord and Savior as well. So don't miss what's happening here. The Holy Spirit has Luke mention this. By the way, what, who was Luke again, Jew or Gentile? Gentile, he's a Greek doctor. All right? One of our Gospels, by the way, Luke, written by, not a Jew, but a Gentile. That was on purpose. So the Holy Spirit has Luke mention this to continue the theme in Acts that God intends to save Gentiles as well. He's not willing that any should perish. Now here's where the narrative helps us see what I mentioned in the opening proposition. And I try to do that, you preachers. We ought to let folks know when we start a message where we're headed. Some of them have trouble staying awake anywhere, anyway. But if you kind of let them what the, know what the destination is, they might listen better. So what is the proposition? What's the purpose of this text? Well, again, it's how God grew the church to the Gentiles. So what do we learn? Well, first, God intends to use church laymen in gospel work. God intends to use all of us. Not just those who have special training or we think have special calling or special abilities. No. When you receive the Holy Spirit and salvation, you received everything you need to be a bold witness for Christ. Well, I, I didn't take the exchange training. If you're saved, you have a story to tell. Tell them how you came to Christ. And then tell them they need to come to Christ too. So let's look at verse 21. God intends to use church laymen. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Now the hand of the Lord, let's pause for a moment. That's an important expression throughout the scriptures especially in the Old Testament, Isaiah 59 and verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. God can save anybody he wants to. And so the Lord's hand is not limited. When he determines to do something, he accomplishes what he sets out to do. Now, a reminder here in Isaiah 59, 1, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, but then if you read on, it says, but your iniquities have separated. We cannot be effective witnesses for Christ if there's sin in our lives. It's going to steal your boldness. It's going to take your power. 
or you're gonna uh, you're gonna hold back unless you know you're right with the Lord. Hold your place and go to Acts chapter four. Now let's see this expression again. The context here is Peter and John have been threatened by the Jewish council not to preach in the name of the Lord. So it really is a context of evangelism. Don't preach in that name. Well, the, the apostles leave and they're going to do what God wants, not what these guys think. But the expression is used right after that when they report back to the church. Look at Acts 4 and verse 28. So they're reporting to the church and they say, for to do whatsoever, they're talking about the Lord, they're praying to the Lord, they're praising, they're rejoicing, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine to be done. Drop down to verse 30, by stretching forth thine hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. You remember the thing that got it all started is they healed a lame man, as they were going up to the temple mount to pray, this guy's uh, at the steps at the base of the whole temple complex, they heal him, he's up there rejoicing and he's jumping around on those new legs, praising God, and that's a reference back to that, uh, but what did they point to? All of this was happening because of God's mighty hand. Now God's hand can deliver anyone who will yield themselves and their witness to Christ. And, and if you yield your witness to Christ, God will deliver you, allow you to witness, but then you'll see him through your witness deliver lost souls. And so watch what happens next. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So this is the first harvest in our context, or in our text. Now, verse 22 is a transition verse in the narrative showing the cooperative effort of all the believers in growing Christ's church. Again, the emphasis, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here at Good News today, God expects you to be in the work. Every one of you. Well, pastor, I'm shy. The Holy Spirit's not. And if you'll yield to him, he can make you what you are not naturally, and that's a good thing. All right. So he wants to use all of us. And here's where the church's leaders now come into focus. God intends to use church leaders in gospel work. Verse 22, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they, and I believe this was the whole church, but those who are leading out, the leaders of the church there, sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And so the Jerusalem church was where the church had started, Pentecost, and despite their persecution, they were in tune with the needs of other groups of believers, even in Gentile Antioch. Again, I, I love this throughout the New Testament. We just came through missions conference and we looked at the Macedonian believers who were persecuted and destitute. And what are they focused on? Our brethren in Jerusalem need our help. Let's take an offering. What's the offering for? Help them be witnesses still in Jerusalem. That was part of 
the overall mandate that the Lord gave, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the, the world. We need to help them. And so these believers in Jerusalem who are still facing persecution are saying, hey, we've heard that God's working in Antioch. And God has taught us we've got this whole Gentile thing settled. He's not just saving Jews, he's saving Gentiles. We need to go help these in Antioch, Jews and Gentiles, who have just been saved. I would say that we need this kind of awareness and cooperation today. When it comes to area sister churches, it's easy to say, well, that's their business. No, 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 it's our business. Same team trying to reach souls in the harvest field. So we need to be aware. We need to pray. We need to come alongside and help. So the Jerusalem church sent help, but the one sent is carefully chosen. Barnabas. What do we learn earlier in Acts about Barnabas? Well, he was a Levite. If he had lived in the Old Testament, he would have been serving in the tabernacle or the temple. He was a Levite. But he was from Cyprus. So probably in an earlier diaspora where there was persecution under the Greeks and we could go back in Israel's history, there were other groups that had been dispersed out of Israel. Probably his family and one of those dispersions had gone to Cyprus, Acts 4.36. But this man was chosen because he understood Gentile culture. Now the Holy Spirit has Luke show us the main reasons that Barnabas was sent. We see a layman who became a leader in the church. What's exciting about pastoral ministry is I look out on our fellowship, our, our church family, and I don't know those who are serving, and again, pardon the word, but as laymen, but as you continue to serve, God is going to develop you. You're, you're going to become aware of spiritual gifts perhaps that you didn't know you had. Now, he gave them to you at salvation, but as you serve him, what the Lord is going to do, he's going to show you maybe you've got the pastor-teacher gift, men. He wants you to pastor a church somewhere, be an assistant pastor at a church. Maybe he's going to call you to the mission field after perhaps the vocation you're in right now. The, the Lord might be leading you somewhere else, but you're not going to know that unless you're faithfully serving him right now. I think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What was his first ministry post in Jerusalem? He was a deacon. By the time we see the end of his life, he's an evangelist. And those of us that went to Greece and Turkey a year ago, we got to be in Hierapolis. Guess what? Philip is buried up there. Uh, it, it's just amazing. And what was Philip doing in those cities of Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea? What was he? He was the evangelist ministering in those cities. But God called him to be a deacon first. Ah, stay faithful. Just be open to how God leads. And hang on for the ride. It's exciting. So, this Barnabas. Who was this guy? First, we're told what he did. Look at verse 23. Who, when he came. All right, so he was willing to go. Barnabas, we want you to go up to Antioch. How long a journey was that? 
300 miles. He didn't blink. He went to strengthen the church there. What else do we know that he did? And he and, and had seen the grace of God was glad. So he had spiritual eyes to recognize what God was doing. Ah, look at what the Lord is doing. You need to ask God to give you spiritual eyes to rejoice in what he's doing. In your church, in individual lives, you need to be excited about that. Rejoice in that. He would be called on then to worship with these Gentile Christians. Jews, Gentiles, worshiping Jesus together. What an exciting thing that. But Barnabas was right there. This is awesome. I want to be part of this. I want to encourage this. It was no problem to Barnabas. And then we read this, that he exhorted them all with that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. What's that mean? Well, the word exhorted is, is the word encouraged. He's an encourager. It's in the Greek, it's imperfect, which means he continued to encourage. He just kept encouraging them all, not just some, but them all. They received the same treatment from Barnabas, that with purpose of heart they should cling, cleave to the Lord. Wow. You know, that's the essence of sanctification, clinging to the Lord. Cleaving to him. Matthew Henry said this of this verse, to cleave to the Lord Jesus is to live a life of dependence upon him and devotedness to him. Not only to hold him fast, but to hold fast by him. Christ in us is everything. So we cling to him, but as we're clinging to him, we're depending on his power, and we're able then to hold fast no matter what comes our way. Warren Wiersbe said this, We belong to the Lord and should always be cultivating our devotion to him. When you come to Christ, he has been pursuing you. He saves you. At that moment, it's a life now of you pursuing Christ. He pursues you. Now you need to pursue him. Oh, you're never going to lose your salvation. He indwells you. He'll be with you for all eternity. All right, but here's the point. You need to pursue your love relationship with him. Every moment, every day. What was Barnabas' challenge to them? Cling to the Lord. How are you going to make it, new Christian? Cling to the Lord. Now, we've seen... What he did, what kind of man was Barnabas? Verse 24, for he was a good man. All right, now we need to park on this a little bit. Do you know so-and-so? Yeah, he's a good guy. That's not what this is saying. Ah, he's, she, she's a good person. What, what is this really saying? Well, would you uh, take a look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 7? We're given, us a, a, we're given a comparison in the scripture. It's in a different context. I understand that. But it helps us understand what kind of a person, <coughs> excuse me, Barnabas was. Many of us can quote Romans 5.8. But here's what Romans 5.7 says. For scarcely for a righteous man 
will one die? In other words, if you are going to give your life for somebody, for a righteous person, okay, all right, maybe. Yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. These, these are people that we ought to think highly of because of their character, their, their yieldedness to the Lord. Okay, so scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good uh, man some would even dare to die. But he, Now here's verse 8, but God showed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, not good, not righteous, Christ died for us. That's amazing. All right, so that's the context. But let's, let's take a look at this word righteous and this word good. The word righteous is dikaios, and here, here's what it means. Someone who fulfills their obligations to God. For someone who's fulfilling their obligations to God, all right, maybe I'd die for them. But this word good takes it to another level. This word good is... Uh, is agathos, and that word means someone who fulfills their obligations to God, but with a kind, generous spirit. Mm. So what about Barnabas? Barnabas did not just do what God wanted him to do. He did it with an encouraged grateful, generous, kind heart. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. All right, I got these teen guys right up front here. My favorite group of teen guys in all the world, right right, right here. Okay, there's some over there too. Okay. How many of you, your parents have ever told you to do something? Okay, I, I figured I'd get 100% on that. All right. Now, what is easier? They tell you, and then you go to do it, and they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Or, I know you can do this. You know it's the right thing. I know it's the right thing. I know you can do this. Okay, let's get this done. Which is easier to follow? The second one. Okay. Do you know that what I've just described is how God responds to man? Go back to what happened right after the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have two boys, Cain and Abel. Abel chooses to offer a good sacrifice. Cain, he's going to do it his way. He prepares his sacrifice, and the Lord comes to him and goes, uh-uh, mm-hmm. it's not what he does. Cain, I see your sacrifice. Now, if I know you're upset with your brother, but if you'll prepare a sacrifice like I've said, it, it, you'll be accepted. But if you don't obey me, sin lies at the door because God knew he's going to murder his brother. That's our Lord. So when they bring to Jesus during his earthly ministry a woman who was taken in adultery in the very act, the Pharisees are like, uh huh, wrong, 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 wrong. What does Jesus do? He gets down and he writes. 
What did he write? The Bible doesn't tell us, so don't tell me what he wrote. Okay. He stands up and he says this. You that are without sin, cast the first stone. So he agreed with the law, righteousness. But he exercises grace. Full of grace and truth. Okay. Now, did the Lord excuse her sin? No, no, no. We don't have to know what Jesus said. Jesus can communicate to her heart without saying a single word. That's what he did. She was repentant, and what did he say to her when she leaves? Now go and sin no more. I think her life changed that day. So who is this encourager? Who is this Barnabas? He's a guy that's not... Mm, uh, 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 uh. No, he's saying, here's the way, walk in. This is what God wants. And he continued to encourage him that way. Okay, here's what God said. You're doing good. Keep it up. Oh, 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 oh. That's, that's not the best way. Do it this way. That's who this man was. When I get to heaven, I want to meet Barnabas. Do you know what the name Barnabas means? Son of consolation. What does that word He's the son of encouragement. This is who this guy was. By the way, this applies to parenting. Parents, be gracious. Be like Barnabas when you parent. And folks, when you disciple those who are new in the faith, babes in Christ, do it this way. Be an encourager. Okay? Criticism doesn't work. Well, if they're in Christ, they ought to know better. How long have you been saved? Did you know better? They're babes in Christ. Son, I know you're only three years old, but why did you spill that milk? Really? Really? Do you know I have known Christians who have left churches because they got offended by a new believer who wasn't like them. Happens. Be careful. Okay, so he was a good man. I hope that helps to illustrate it and full of the Holy Ghost. So he clung to the Lord as he encouraged the new believers in Antioch. In other words, what he told them to do, he was already doing. He was clinging to the Lord. He was full of the Holy Ghost, controlled by the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Now, because Barnabas was a yieldless servant of the Lord who obeyed God's specific will, a great number of believers in Antioch turned to the Lord. This already happened in verse 21. This is ministry. It happens again. Notice, and much people was added to the Lord. Now, next time, we're going to continue through verse 26 and, and keep going. But Barnabas understood something. All these folks have been saved. There's no way I can disciple all these folks on my own. And so what does he do? He goes and he finds the one who is an apostle who's been called to minister to the Gentiles. He finds Saul and he brings Saul back to Antioch. And what a team they were 
helping these believers get grounded. And by the way, they had a 12-week Bible study. We're done. Nope. A whole year they stayed, and they taught these new Christians all that the Lord had commanded. All right. And so this is the kind of man Barnabas was. This is who we're going to need to be if we're going to be used of the Lord. This is how God builds his church, even among Gentiles. And he wants to use every one of us. Since we've had the exchange, I can tell you stories. I was talking to somebody this weekend, just... Uh, one of our good men got the, his entire work crew where he works, and they all agreed to go through the exchange with him. They've been having Bible study 5 o'clock early in the morning at work. All of them went through it, including his boss. Like, man, that's, that is amazing. Okay. God can use us. He wants to use us. So let's be an active part. Not a passive part. Well, I love good news. I hear about all these things that God's doing. <coughs> but what is he doing at good news as he works through you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for teaching us this morning. And Lord, thank you for the example of Barnabas. Lord, we'll see later in Paul's life that there was actually a rift between he and Paul. But because Barnabas was the encourager, he didn't give up on a young man named John Mark. And in fact, because he didn't give up, John Mark became profitable again to Paul in the ministry. Father, we're too quick to give up on others. And we too easily want others to do what you've called us to do in making disciples. Lord, would you convict in hearts, help every teenager here, Help every adult here who knows Christ, who names the name of Christ. Help each of us, please, to be faithful in the harvest field, sharing the good news. And when folks are saved, then helping them learn all that you say in your word. Lord, it's a joy. It's a privilege. We get to see change even in a, in a time when there is very negative change happening all around us in the world. Lord, thank you that you're building your church and that you want to use us. You can use us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.